Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, October the 28th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Joining me for our end of week wrap this week is our political editor, Pat Leahy, because, Pat, you've been poring over our latest Irish Times Ipsos poll. And what have you found? Yeah, Hugh, I've been crunching the numbers for the last uh, couple of days. This is our autumn poll following on from our last poll in July. So any of the comparisons in the stream of numbers I'm about to throw at you are from uh, are from July. And people who are reading the paper during the week will have seen that uh, there is a somewhat unexpected rebound in government support since that poll in July. Now, we should say that July was a bad poll for the government and it came just as the cost of living effects were beginning to wash over people. But notwithstanding that, we see a significant improvement in government numbers uh, this week. So the government parties are up by six, four of that to Fianna Gael, one each to Fianna Fáil and, uh, and to the Green Party. Satisfaction of the government up by nine points, up to 40%. Uh, Micheál Martin's personal rating up by five to 45%. Leo Varadkar's personal rating up by eight to 44%. Even Eamon Ryan, who tends to take a bit of a battering in these polls, was up by five points to 20%, so running well uh, ahead of his, uh, well ahead of his party. So the party support and personal rating figures, government satisfaction figures, all showing a reasonably significant bounce back for the government. Even when you look at, we asked this question, which is a sort of a meta indicator of, of how things are going. Is the country on the generally going in the right direction or generally going in the wrong direction? Wrong direction, 51. Right direction, 37. Not a great result, you might say, but a significant improvement, again, from July. Those who think it's going in the right direction improved by 7%. Those who think it's going in the wrong direction uh, down by nine points. So in July, 60% of people thought countries going in the wrong direction. Only 30% of people said it was going the right direction. A big 30-point gap then. Now that gap has narrowed to 14 points. So, you know, I wouldn't get, if I was in government, I wouldn't get carried away about it. But it is a good poll for the government in difficult circumstances. So when we look at these sort of numbers at this time of year and search around perhaps for some some underlying reason, uh, the first protocol tends to be the budget, which was generally well received or certainly not particularly negatively received. Yeah, and in fact, the second day of, of, of findings bears that out. And of course, you know, the, the poll is a piece of quantitative research. It doesn't explain in data terms at least the reasons behind the movement, but we can apply um, what passes for our political intelligence, God bless the mark, uh, to that. But there's also indicators in a, a, a separate round of questions. So, you know, we asked people a series of questions about the, uh, the how the cost of living was impacting on their lives. And, you know, while lots of people are finding it more difficult 
to to manage financially. Those who are be finding it a lot more difficult to manage financially, that number is down since July, uh, down by five points to 40, uh, 44%. Further 44% say they're finding it a little bit more difficult to, uh, to, to manage financially. And those sort of findings are repeated across a series of questions on the cost of living. People seem to be pointing the finger less at the government than they were in July. So we asked people, do they agree with the statement that increasing the cost of living were more or less out of the government's hands? Now, uh, 45% of people agreed uh, that they were out of the government's hand. 48% of people said that they weren't out of government's hand. But again, those figures since July show that people are blaming the government, you know, down by eight points, people who are not blaming the government up by seven points. So we asked people if the measures in the budget will help with the cost of living. 65% of people saying that they would, just 27% of people saying that uh, that they wouldn't. So again, you wouldn't overemphasize this movement. It's still quite a difficult position for people. There is political blowback for that. But I think what these numbers say is that the measures taken in the budget, which let us not forget, was an 11 billion euro giveaway to uh, to help people with, uh, with, with cost of living between spending increases, once-off welfare and other measures such as the uh, energy credit and a billion euros of tax cuts. Uh, 65% of people saying that that will help them. So I think we're seeing the political effects of that. I do wonder as well, in addition to the budget, whether there was a point um, of this sort made on the letters page of the Irish Times this week, where um, if people are becoming a little bit more aware that this is a global or at least an international uh, problem affecting lots of countries across Europe and, and, and further afield, and then they look at the sort of chaos that's been happening in the UK over the last several weeks, that that perhaps puts the government and its actions in a, in a more favourable light. Yeah, I think so. Certainly the numbers would track that people are pointing the figure less um at government and that's in a couple of uh, that's in a couple of different indicators. But the point you raise about the sort of demonstration effect of what's going on in the UK while we don't have data on that in this poll it seems to be there's kind of an intuitive truth uh, uh, about it that people are watching political chaos uh, over there with the you know, with the best will in the world, our government looks more calm, competent, uh, responsive, and 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 has more capacity to help people with uh, cost of living issues than is the case in Westminster. And and I think that that is probably having an effect in these numbers as well. Among the questions asked in the third tranche of this of, of this poll are sort of, I suppose, digging a little bit deeper into people's political preferences and aspirations. And they ask questions about their view of the current government, the, uh, the impending um, switchover of Taoiseach and their preferred government into the future. And there's some interesting numbers in all of those. Yeah, I think this is quite interesting. And again, it is of a piece with, you know, I suppose the big analytical takeaway from this poll, if you like, which identified the other day as like, the government isn't beaten yet. It's the outcome of the next election, even though you can't find anyone. And I've 
said this on the podcast a number of times, you can't find anyone in Leicester House who doesn't think that Sinn Féin are going to uh, uh, do anything but lead the next government. But these numbers suggest that that is not yet a foregone conclusion. While there is no doubt but that Sinn Féin are dominating things in terms of party support uh, at the moment. And, you know, while Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael might be happy with themselves to go up to 21 and 22%, you know, Sinn Féin is on 35% in this uh, in this poll. And it is consistently in the mid-30s in all the polls that we have done uh, over, the last, over the last 12 months and in other people's polls as well. So Sinn Féin are, are way out in front. But to form a government, you need to have more than the, the largest number of, uh, of TDs. You need to be able to command a majority in the Dáil on, uh, on a consistent basis. And Sinn Féin isn't there yet. And looking at those second set of questions about the switchover in government uh, and about coalition preferences after the next election or government preferences after uh, the next election, it does show that there is that there is much to to play for. So in a couple of weeks, there'll be the switchover in uh, in the Taoiseach's office. We asked people, you know, were they happy to see Leo Varadkar take over as Taoiseach? And 48% of them said that they, they were. Now, 42% of them said they weren't. But there isn't anything like a universal rejection of the musical chairs that we're going to see in a couple of weeks. We asked people maybe if Micheál Martin should continue as, uh, as Taoiseach. 58% of them said they shouldn't. Just 31% of people said that, that he should. So there is an acceptance of this governing arrangement and its most particular uh, and unusual facet that we're going to see within a couple of weeks. We also asked um, if people would like to see Mary Lou Macdonald as Taoiseach after the next uh, election. And um, just 37% of people, obviously tracking close to the Sinn Féin, uh, the number of people who, who should support Sinn Féin uh, in this poll, 37% of people said they wanted to see Mary Lou Macdonald as Taoiseach after the next election, but 50% of people said that they didn't. There is an, an idea that is put forward by some people in the opposition and um, and particularly in Sinn Féin that we want a general election that the country needs a general election now but just 37% of people again tracking that Sinn Féin number uh, in in party support just 37% of people say that they want an election now 57% of people are happy to wait until 2025 again looking at potential coalitions after the next general election most popular one was actually a continuation of the current Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Green Coalition. 30% of people said that that was their, uh, that their, their favourite option. Now, that's not exactly an overwhelming endorsement, but it is the most popular option as chosen by governments. Next most popular one was a Sinn Féin government without Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. Smaller numbers of support... Uh, for Sinn Féin Fianna Fáil coalition, 9%, that was their first choice, or Sinn Féin Fianna Gael coalition, 6% uh, of people chose that, 18% of people said they didn't know, and none of those options was uh, was particularly attractive to 15% of, uh, of people. But I think what that shows, you know, is that, again, of a piece with those party, party support uh, numbers, that it's not 
quite all over bar the shouting just yet. And in addition to party political questions and addition to some of these um, cost of living issues, we also asked about the current crisis with refugees uh, and being able to accommodate them properly. And those numbers are also worth considering. Yeah, there's a sort of a... um I'm not sure double think is is quite the 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 right word but th- th- there is some degree of a contradiction between uh between what people say about their willingness to support Ukraine even if it leads to energy shortages and there is overwhelming support for that 72% of people say that Ireland and the EU should continue to support the Ukraine even if there is energy shortages but there is a real concern about uh the numbers of refugees that are uh that that are that are coming here. 61% of people say they're concerned that there's too many refugees uh, coming here. We asked if people should continue to accept refugees from Ukraine, no matter how many may come. And a majority of people were against that proposition, 56% of people against 36% of people who said that we should accept um, unlimited numbers of Ukrainian refugees. So there is this desire to support Ukraine, but... Not in the, not perhaps in in the the way that is most available to Ireland, because as we know, Ireland is not going to send military aid to Ukraine, and there is a concern now about the capacity of the country to absorb the numbers of Ukrainian refugees that are that are continuing to arrive. Now, you may say that the finger of blame there points at the government for its failure to provide sufficient capacity to deal with the numbers that have come, but. Either way, there is to me somewhat of a contradiction there between what um, between what people say they want to how they want to support Ukraine, but also in the most practical way possible, they have doubts about whether that can continue. Just a last thought on on all of this, Pat. I mean, you make a point of giving a cautionary note to the government parties, lest they take too much uh, satisfaction from um, from from these numbers this week. We are. Going into a winter, we don't know what it's going to bring. At, at its worst, it might bring all kinds of terrible stuff like power cuts and increased homelessness and uh, more refugees who we don't have spaces for and further economic disruption and indeed a global recession. So there's a list of uh, of unpleasant things that could happen. And I think at least some of them are, are quite possibly going to happen. So is your sense from political circles on the government side that tough times lie ahead, or indeed on the opposition side, that opportunities lie ahead. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty accurate summary of where things stand, Hugh. Um, I mean, as you know, I've been something of an outlier in in saying that actually, you know, things are not quite as bad for the government as everybody has been making out in purely uh, political support terms. That while government support has been under pressure, it hasn't collapsed completely and um you know there's the all all sorts of predictions about you know the the party support crumbling um and green party support crumbling and so forth and ructions in Fianna Fáil and uh, and all that that hasn't really come to pass and even before this poll you know government support as i say was under pressure but 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 hadn't fallen apart completely and so i suppose this poll shows a couple of things one of them is that that you know, government retains the power of executive action. And that is a great political tool. It's the ultimate political tool, really. And a government that is in such fiscal good health 
as this government is in contrast to the British government, uh, has greater freedom of executive action. What do we mean by that? Well, it we, means that they can produce a budget, an 11 billion euro giveaway budget, the largest in the history of the state. And, you know, uh, to, to, be, to be blunt about it, you could call it buying popularity or you could, uh, I, I suppose, staving off unpopularity might be, um, uh, might be a better description of it. Government, I'm sure, would say that they are, you know, using public resources you know, for the perfectly legitimate purpose of helping people through what is obviously a very, very difficult time for many of them dealing with rising cost of living. The larger point, I suppose, being that government continues to function, has capacities at its disposal, will continue to have capacities at its uh, at its disposal. And as these figures show, both in the the party support figures, the satisfaction figures, but also those general impressions of the government that people have, whether in relation to the changeover that's taking place, the medium-term future of coalition choices after the next election, their view of the budget, their view of of cost-of-living crisis. Um, I, I, I think they show that while there are undoubtedly very difficult times ahead for the country and for the government, that much is clear. Um, they are not in a hopeless position when it comes to dealing with them and also managing the political fallout for them. So things are stacked against them in some respects, but you know they also have power and capacity at their back. Before we finish up things today, we do like on these Friday podcasts to point our listeners in the direction of a, of, uh, a couple of articles that we think are, are worth reading. I'm going to nominate uh, Newton Emerson's opinion piece this week. It's it's timely because I think we're, we're reporting today that an election, uh, a not particularly eagerly anticipated election, is anticipated in Northern Ireland in the coming weeks because of the failure to uh, to re-establish the executive. Newton makes, I think, two, two very, very good points there. One is that uh, at these times, very often, lots of talk is bandied around about joint authority between Dublin and London over the ungovernable um, six counties. He he just points out that there is there is really no likelihood or provision of that, or really how unachievable it would be. But I but I think possibly more more importantly, Pat, and I'd be interested to know what you think of this. He also points out that these these never ending uh, crises give added impetus to the argument which the Alliance Party has been making for some time now, which is that the current structures of the Belfast Agreement are not delivering the stable um, local government which they were intended to do, and that some tweaking is required. And he makes the point, and this is absolutely correct, that you know that that development and amendment and changes were built into the original conception of the agreement way back in the late 1990s and they haven't happened. And that so much has changed in Northern Ireland over that time that it might be time to go in and have a look, for example, at a way of reducing this veto power which the two largest parties currently have. Yeah, I thought it was a really good piece and it's an important uh, issue and one that won't go away. And it seems to me that next year with the... Uh, with the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement and, you know, all the celebrations and so on that that might occasion, it would be a very good time to look at changing the agreement and changing it in a way that makes it 
more reflective of the politics in Northern Ireland now, which is no longer bifurcated, but you know maybe trifurcated if that's uh, if that's a word. And to take account of you know the 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 rising force in politics that is those people who are not primarily uh, identified as nationalist or unionist, and which finds its uh, expression m- most noticeably in rising support for the alliance, but not but not just in that rising support for other parties such as uh, such as the the Greens as well. So yeah, I thought that, I thought that was um, a really good piece, and it's also an issue uh, that that I suspect we'll return to uh, we'll return to here as the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement comes along, and as we ponder the uh, the delight that is another Northern Ireland uh, election mm. campaign. Yeah, uh, a Christmas a in, Christmas election in, in Northern week. Ireland. Yeah, the heart really causes the heart to soar. All right, what did you choose today? Yeah, so my piece. I know you you picked. Um, Dennis Staunton's piece from Beijing uh, last week. I'm going to pick another uh, Dennis Beijing letter uh, today. And um, while, uh, you know, we, uh, notwithstanding the fact that Harry McGee has done a super job for us in London over, uh, over, the, over the last week, I think we missed uh, Dennis's missives from London and particularly his London letters, which gave us a slice of uh, the life of a boulevardier in, uh, in, in SW1. Um, but I'm I'm enjoying his coverage from uh, Beijing, and he's got a a great piece in today. His Beijing letter in today, where he's uh, describing going out and buying uh, some furniture for his no doubt lavishly appointed uh, Irish Times headquarters in, uh, in 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 Beijing, and and, and while shopping in China nowadays is uh, highly uh, technological undertaking uh, you still have to haggle uh, over uh, over the price and uh, he, he he writes that uh, you know haggling over the price remains part of the performance of buying and selling in china and before we left the furniture showroom the manager my companion and i took part in an ancient choreography of commerce each of us stepped into our roles with conviction with the manager implying that the smallest discount would bankrupt the company and impoverish himself me putting on an elaborate display of indifference and my companion presenting herself as the honest broker. So anyway, I'd recommend it uh, to, uh, to, to people and uh, I guess lots more to come from Dennis in that regard. Indeed, London's loss is Beijing's gain and I, I'm really looking forward to, to reading his, his Beijing letters and to hearing from him, hopefully on, on, on this podcast and other podcasts too. We will leave it there. Thanks very much uh, to Pat. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon today and our engineer JJ Vernon. We will be back with you as usual next week, but until then, goodbye and thanks very much for listening.